Kings podcast sponsored by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today I'm joined by Jesse Bounds. We've had Jesse on the podcast before, but always a thought leader and very innovative in both his leadership style in, within the industry and in his process and procedures and thoughts around finance. I know finance isn't always the, the first and foremost on a lot of hay producers' minds, but for some, for many, it's a real big deal. So we're going to touch on a couple of lines of thought today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be back, John. Where are you at? What are you thinking about? I'm going to start out with my health goals because that's the first thing that's on my mind. And no one talks about it. So I'll put it short uh, yeah. because that's not what we came on here to talk about. It's something that I never took into consideration ever in my life. Baling hay, hauling hay, whatever it was I was doing was always a priority. Mm-hmm. And eating right and eating consistently and even just knowing how to eat So what I would do, and this is like very common for most anybody in ag or farming, is we might get in decent shape in the wintertime. Because like right now, it's January, right? And then I did that for like, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And I would get into decent shape and then come spring, it's nice out and I'm running, I'm doing all this stuff. Summer comes, bam, it's like I hit a break wall. Because now I'm busy, we're all busy doing Mm -hmm. hay. Eat one time. Oh, and gas station food. Oh, burritos. I just need something to keep me going right now. Well, nuts. I didn't realize how I love nuts. And so I was like, I'd, I'd hammer like cashews, peanuts, almonds, all that stuff. Yeah, just read the content package of how much fat is in there. And nobody breaks this stuff down, right? Everybody talks about calories, grams of fat, and I look at protein. So my target goal, I was talking to Kyle this morning. My target is 200 grams of protein a day. And the reason why people talk about chicken is because chicken is the highest protein most. Mm-hmm. That's why you hear everybody say eat chicken. And then I love to eat steak. So if I eat steak, I love ribeyes. That's what I always ate, but they're higher in fat. And so I eat a sirloin now. Hmm. That health component certainly is something that everybody should consider. And I do agree that that we don't talk about it enough. So my health is number one. Second of all, when it comes to the business, one of the main areas that me and John were talking about that that, that I'm gonna focus on is diving into my numbers deeper into an accrual method. And so what we're, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start really analyzing my trucking company, my hay company and my trucking company run under different like LLCs. Or my main focus the last couple of years has been on the hay company, uh, diving into those numbers, knowing exactly my true cost to operate like my hay press. So I know exactly my packaging costs, wrap and strap the bales that come out of the hay press. I know exactly the, our twine cost at the end of the year. So for like anybody that's a farmer or doing hay that listens to this, what we do is we buy like say $40,000 a twine a year. Uh, we're going to go into summer with, I think there's four or five pallets I saw around here. There's two things that are really important about that. We know, we estimate, we know about how much twine we're going to use, right? It's not the old way I used to do it is um, I'd buy it from one person. I'd call them up and say, well, what did we use last year? They'd say, we use 25 pallets. And I was like, okay, let's just get us 25 pallets again. And I didn't really look at what we had left over. But now we know exactly what we're going to need. Now, of course, we need to have a little bit of extra because you you always want to have a little extra twine in case it, you know, it's running tight. This year, 
maybe isn't the situation, right? There, you can probably get twine this year. We always like to have four or five pallets or something to carry over, just, just so we're not worried about it. So what you do is we're like, okay, we know, let's say we know we're going to use 30 pallets of twine and we have five left over. Okay, well, we forecast for next year. We think we're going to use 30 again. So we're just going to order 30 because we already have five. But if we have only one, right, then we might order 34, whatever that is. When we get done with the end of summer, we go and count all our twine. And when we know how many failed for the summer, and we and then we count our twine, exactly how many rolls of twine that we used, and you know exactly your um, cost to, of twine per ton. It's that simple. Nobody overthinks it. It... But the biggest thing is it takes time and it takes discipline for someone when they're done to go do it and then run the numbers. That's that's where people get hung up. Now, I'm not I'm not buying $40,000 worth of twine in a year. That that still sounds like a big number to me. As I approach twine purchase decisions, I'm looking at my acres, my rotations because we're upgrading fields, we're putting in new stuff. Uh, and I have an example where I picked up 100 acres that I, uh, 90 acres that I put into alfalfa last year. I have some expectation in my neck of the woods. That's now we're dry land up by the Canadian border. We're not an ag mecca by any stretch of the imagination. We're not talking 10 ton California production. We're talking like four tons and two cuttings, maybe three cuttings for me. So I have some expectation of about 360 tons of hay off of that this year. And then I can figure out about how much twine that takes. If you're growing and expanding, which is kind of where my operation is, I need to factor in that I'm going to need another pallet of twine for that. And I never did any of this as I was growing. So as we were growing this business, we had we didn't even have a forklift here to unload twine. I would have to go across the street and borrow a skid steer with forks on it. So uh-huh. yep. like we never had that's until I <laughs> traded a load of hay for a forklift. Like I mm-hmm. like this, so I can relate to that. I always sometimes catch myself where I'm like, oh, you know, like I get off track of, you know, trying to make it relatable. And like you said, that's a a large number. But what I wish I would have learned is I wish I would have learned this before I expanded. Ah, yeah. So let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. Looking to get more from your alfalfa seed? Plant cropland. Achieve your alfalfa production goals with a well-crafted plan. New AA series varieties from Cropland provide significant improvement in overall plant health, improving yield, quality, and persistence. Find the new AA series variety that works for you, available in conventional Roundup Ready or reduced Lignin Harvester trait platforms. Cropland has the right fit for your need. For insights and more information that will work for you, go to www.cropland.com. That's my journey too. I can't imagine the number of stupid trips that I took to, oh, we had Big R at the time, or North 40 is our kind of local tractor supply-ish store. I used to just go and buy twine hand to mouth, and I was so overpaying for twine. And it took so much time and effort every time we came up a little short on twine. And it, oh, it, these are my early, early days of farming, and it was stupid. If I had just bought that pallet of twine that I was going to need for the year, and acknowledging the size and scale, now we're considerably bigger than that. We're not buying semi-loads like you're talking about, but we're buying more than one pallet a year. Ah, it's the time that it takes to fuss with that. And all, it, all you have to do is a touch of forecasting. You have to 
sit down and say, all right, I have this field, I have this field, I have this field, I have this field. What's my yield expectation? What's my yield expectation? And it gets you, I just did a podcast with Jeff Jackson the other day, and he was talking about getting to within 80% of your needs on seed. And I think if you get 80%, like if you're plus or minus 20% on what you're going to need, that's that's about as good as you're going to get in agriculture, right? Yeah. And it's more important when you're a small producer, because if you're one, two, three people, especially if you're one person, you don't have extra time. No. Right. Like that's where people that are trying to do it by themselves, especially if you're doing hay, that was a challenge always for me. Why I basically had to have employees from almost day one because anybody that's doing hay and every person that this does relate. You, you're 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 cutting, you're tidying, you're raking, you're bailing. You need a ride from the field back to the shop or your house. Like you're always going to be working with someone, whether it's a family member, whether it's one of your employees. Most people that do hay always have at least somebody helping them, right? It's a, it's literally like impossible to basically I do mean, it by for, yourself. For time of memorial, you talk to old guys, and oh yeah, they grew up bucking hay on the family farm, and that's just what you did in the summers, and it, it that's just how hay works. And so, like this idea of looking ahead, getting those supplies ahead of time is really key because it's going to save you a ton of time when you're actually trying to do the hay. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about twine or pesticides or fertilizer. It's pretty easy to sit down, list out your fields and say, all right, I need this many pounds, whether you have soil tests or whether you or not, I need this many pounds of fertilizer. You have some concept of what your program is. You, you should know. I know darn good and well that I took out 60 acres at Ospies, and that's going to be uh, going into alfalfa this year. I know exactly how much seed I need for that 60 acres. There's no secret. There's no reason for me to wait two more months to make those purchases. Well, and then you get like I am right now, and I'm uh, we're working up 120 acres, and I keep changing my mind of what I'm going to plant. I said triticale, and now I'm thinking maybe oat hay because I want to maybe try to export it. That's the way my mind thinks. But <laughs> then I have to try to compete with Australia. So I'm like, I don't know if I want to. And honestly, that's what I'm going through is I'm like, okay, our domestic market is okay. But I'm like, have to think, what are they selling that oat hay for, right? What I'm looking ahead because that's where my mind's going is if it's triticale, it's a domestic market for me. I don't sell a lot of domestic. And then if I do oat hay, I could export it, but I'm going to basically have to sell it for probably less than Australia because their crop's going to be better than mine. They do. They're better at raising oat hay. And yeah, you were there. I saw some phenomenal acknowledging that there's variability in Australia, just like there's variability everywhere. They had some phenomenal crops this year, absolutely phenomenal. And what was it yield wise? Like, what did you see? Was it a yield wise that it was good, or the quality was good? I've never walked out through a, a stand of oats that wasn't headed out that was chest deep before. Just fantastic volumes. The quality was a little bit variable. They actually had some fertilizer shortages in their in their growing season. So I saw some fields that were a little wavy where they were cutting corners because they just didn't have the supplies. They legit couldn't buy enough urea. It wasn't available at any price. So where farmers had pre-bought and had supplies, they were selling it to their neighbors kind of stuff. When you're tight on supply... You don't necessarily back into the corners and do the corners exactly right. So, like, there was some variability in the stands that you just wouldn't expect otherwise. But by and large, they had very favorable growing conditions when they needed it. 
there was some harvest damage, but maybe in this market condition, that's not the end of the world for them. Uh, there, there were some rainstorms that came through and a lot of hay got put up nice, a lot, a lot of hay got put up nice, but there were some that got rained on. That makes a cheaper product. And when the Australian dollar is really weak versus the US dollar, it, it just makes a cheap product cheaper. And if I had to guess maybe half the price of Timothy and uh, approaching on some of that rained on hay, approaching grass seed straw prices delivered to Japan and Korea. And that that no one realizes when you're in a world market is people get caught up in your area, your region. If you're selling primarily domestic or local, and it doesn't matter where it's at in the United States, right? You're, you're going to have that little circle, right? Mm -hmm. The minute you start getting out of that circle, you're going to have other areas competing with you. And, and when we go into this export market and people don't understand the export market because they don't understand how much world competition this plays in. It's not just the product price. This exchange rate is huge anymore. And we're talking U.S. West Coast versus Australia versus Spain. Like these are big, big, huge market considerations that a lot of folks don't deal with. But if you're in the Midwest, there's a reason that corn's at five bucks and it's exchange rates. There's a reason that soybeans are, uh, oh boy, uh, nine or 10 bucks. I, I, I'm not a soybean expert here. Exchange rates play a huge, huge part in that. And as you think about what markets are incentivizing corn and soybean and wheat producers to plant, because that's what futures markets give you is some signal of what to plant. We don't have that luxury in, in hay markets. These guys are looking at futures prices and, and maybe not understanding the exact implications of exchange rates, but they know what it means to their bottom line and what they're going to plant and not plant. I'm here to tell you, hay is one of those flex crops that moves with, not necessarily cyclical or counter-cyclical with corn and soybeans. Sometimes odd things happen, but it does make a difference. So we're here on the West Coast where exchange rates matter a lot in the hay markets, but I'm here to tell you anywhere in the world, exchange rates make a difference in hay markets because of competing acres. If, if the price of corn goes up, well, hay acres come out, generally speaking. If the price of soybeans goes up, maybe hay's going to come out a little bit. So you can see some of those dynamics happening just to a lesser extent. So when's the exchange rate going to go down? Oh boy, if I knew that. More favorable. I watch, I watch the yen. Come on. I watch the yen all give the time. Some, give me some hope. And I, I just don't have it for you. What, what we have to look at is interest rate differentials, right? So as we're talking about uh, the Bank of Japan, we're talking about the Bank of Australia and then the Federal Reserve, they're actually, they're in the driver's seat on exchange rates right now. Uh, the higher the interest rate, the, the stronger the currency. And I see on social media all the freaking time, Biden's destroying the U.S. dollar. Well, first of all, presidents don't matter on exchange rates like completely irrelevant and and to think otherwise is is just political mastication like uh i i did say mastication like chewing the cud uh but if you confused it for something else maybe there's a reason for that as we're thinking about interest rate differentials people want to invest where there's the highest return high interest rates equal high returns that drives foreign direct investment before foreigners can invest in the U.S., which happens all the time uh, and has for time immemorial. Like as long as there's been trade, there's been money coming into the U.S. from around the world. This is not new. This is not bad. It just is. As long as that 
uh, interest rate is high relative to other currencies, the dollar is going to be strong. So no, Biden doesn't make a bit of difference when it comes to exchange rates. Uh, the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Japan and the Bank of Australia and, 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 right? All these foreign, uh, like all the Federal Reserve equivalents around the world dictate those exchange rates. And until the exchange, uh, until the interest rate in Japan is closer to that of the interest rate in the U.S., the exchange rate isn't going to get any better. Yeah, and that's, and so for everyone listening to this, like for my business, this is one of the most challenging things that I've got to try to, here I'm faced with, basically my customers would love to probably buy our product if it's more favorable for them to buy it from another country because it's cheaper. The product, number one, could be cheaper. And then the exchange rate is so favorable. They're going to buy it from them. And there's nothing I can do. I can I can cry all day long about it. But now this person, I have to look at it and say, all right, is this here to stay? Because if this is here to stay for a couple of years, I need to come up with a plan. I got to pivot. I have to change. I have to adapt. I've got to change my business model. Because if I keep waiting for it year after year, time goes by. We're not getting any younger and they aren't. And if other products start entering and take place, it's really hard to get that market back. Yep. That's where markets start shifting. And so you have to think about this and make a move because if you don't, you will you you can lose your market. Well, if you're older and and have been around a little while and grew wheat in the seventies and eighties, if I say Jimmy Carter, you're gonna spit on the ground and, and kick the dirt and cuss his name. Uh, because we lost Russia as a as a market, right? He he did that. I mean, in this case, the president actually did matter, not in exchange rates, but in in uh, geopolitical stuff. Uh, those wheat embargoes fundamentally changed how wheat markets work to this day. So we do we do see some of these trends getting entrenched, and I do worry about that a little bit in the hay export industry where the industry started in the U.S. and it's grown around the world now. And it's not going to stay the same. It's it's never going back to the way it was in the 90s. No, it, it's not. And that's where, you know, for me, I have to look at this business and this business model. And I've, I've talked about this before where I'm basically analyzing, you know, where I'm at today. So when I ordered my new press in, you know, 2018, or I actually ordered it and say, I actually went, it went as far back as 15 is when I ordered my new hay press and then it was supposed to come in 16 and we had the fire. And so that paused that. And then finally I was able to get it installed about this. Uh, it was the, about December 19. So that was like four years ago from the time I put that in. So that was right before COVID to today. It's different. Oh, absolutely. So those plans change. I mean, my trucking's completely changed when I put that press in, in two, so when we're running hard, January of 20, and I can go back and look, and I know we were running well, hard. That was when we basically doubled. That was four years ago, probably to today. We bought all those to go to Tacoma, Seattle. COVID, which we didn't know was coming, completely changed that. So now I have a whole bunch of trucks I'm making payments on. Thank God they're, it's almost over with. I did a bunch of four-year leases, which was the best thing I did. I could have stretched those things out. Looking at it today, it was the best thing I did was do four-year leases. And I'm going to own those trucks. I always do a capital lease. And, and I only paid like 165000 for those trucks. And today that same truck's like two hundred sixty-five or 250000 So once again, at the time that I did it, I didn't want to do it 
because all my trucks were paid for. And the reason why we had to do that was to go to the port, to go to Tacoma, Seattle for the clean air. So I'm a typical business owner, damn government making me buy this stuff. You know, uh, I think at that point there was no ships either coming to Portland either. And so really our main option was to go to Tacoma, Seattle. So I had to make that investment. Well, looking back at it now, I'm actually glad that I was forced to do it because I'm in a better position today than I was because I have the trucks that are compliant. That's coming to Oregon rapidly fast. Those emission standards, right? And so I have those trucks. They'll be paid for. But now, once again, idle is going to change because of what happened during COVID. Because of these other countries getting into our market and the change rate and still, uh, shipping's different now from the West Coast. It's not as easy. So it's just everything changes. And as a business owner, you have to look at that, especially if you're in the commodities market. I mean, dairies go through this. I mean, everybody goes through it. I mean, look at farmers growing crops. I mean, you're always chasing it. You're plowing something out, planting something different. Um, I mean, I'm trying not- to forecast, right? I'll jump back on my exchange rate stump here for a second. I mean, why do we think that? Milk prices are down because we lost our export markets because the dollar's strong. Why are beef exports down percent and uh, down ten percent, and beef imports are up ten percent because the dollar's strong? This this exchange rate is driving hay markets at every single level and turn, and it doesn't matter where you're at. If you're in Australia, you are jumping up and down for joy because you just had a great crop and you have countries in Asia that are hungry for your product and you're the cheapest product in the world right now. Is there anybody ready to retire in Australia? Do I need to go over there and set up shop? Actually, what I was there, <laughs> when I was there, I saw a lot of younger producers and I don't, and I don't mean twenties, I mean thirties and forties. And then a lot of the next generation that's actually interested in agriculture because it's profitable because there's a place on the farm for them. I don't know that there's a lot of opportunity in Australia. It's probably the other way around. And why is that? Like, what did you, um, I've never been there. I'm kind of curious. Like what, what was your take on it? Exchange rates matter a lot, a lot, a lot. If our exchange rate goes back down to normal, what will that do to Australia? Will it make their, will it make farming more challenging for them? Uh, yes and no. So they're also buying equipment from all over the world because there's very little manufacturing of any kind in Australia. They pay a super premium on all the equipment that they buy because of that exchange rate. So that that makes it more expensive for them. However, on the sales side, their weak uh, Australian dollar is absolutely the, the best thing that's ever happened. So if we talk about a normalization of exchange rates, well, then their equipment cost goes down and they're a little less competitive on the sales side. Uh, I also, now, maybe this was the operations that I was on. Uh, all the Australian operations that I saw were scaled to support families. Like, they're all family farms, just like here. There's no difference in that regard. But they also, they have a culture around management that's a little more sophisticated than I would say the average farm is in the U.S., There's just some slight cultural differences. You kind of think of, ah, the Australians are basically Americans, which isn't too far off. But there are differences that make a difference in their perceptions and perspectives around agriculture. When's the best time of year to go? Because I want to go next year. Uh, I wouldn't go when it's hotter than heck. Remember that they're about the same, like Tasmania is the same latitude south and north as, as the Willamette Valley in Oregon is. 
so that you're you're as far from the equator as the Willamette Valley uh, as Tasmania is. Queensland, where uh, like Brisbane, is essentially the southern tip of Texas. Just flip it upside down, right? So you've got to think that they're doing a lot of winter cereals, like Central California does. That's that's what oat and hay is in Australia is Central California cereal production. That wheat hay that they produce, yeah, I- that oat hay. That's all of Australia. So they're growing their crops over their winter. And then it gets hotter and heck. And, and I mean, a lot of the times they're bailing just as it's getting super hot. But they're planting their oats in April just like we do. But they're not harvesting until October, November. So October, it starts to get warm, basically, where they can harvest. November gets hotter. And then when are they really into their winter? Well, when I was there in August, uh, there was a frost one morning. That's about as cold as it gets. Okay. And yet, I I asked, hey, does it ever snow here? And well, you've seen, you've heard of the man from Snowy River, the movie. Uh, there are a few high spots in Australia, but their their tallest mountain is only like seven thousand feet. We have farmers that farm at a higher elevation than that. Interesting. Yeah, I never really want to get over there. I know got a couple guys that like to go see and like i everybody knows i was down there for the afia meeting the australia fodder industry association they have winter meetings just like we have winter meetings yep next trip ah highly recommended jesse it's been wonderful having you on the podcast and i enjoyed our discussion today thanks for having me john i always enjoy to be on hey kings i want to say thank you to our sponsors today without vermeer this wouldn't be possible but also a special thank you to nick palmieri at palmieri sound just a a fantastic company to work with and i couldn't recommend them more highly for podcasting also thank you to jessica palmieri for doing our social media coordination i couldn't do all this hey king stuff without you so thank you (music) 